0: Res kids, you guys are staying put. It's our fifth Sunday. Ushers, you guys can go ahead and receive the morning's tithes and offerings. Uh, It's a little chilly in here. I apologize. There's two uh, temperatures in this room. There's hot and cold. And so we could have kicked the boiler on and sweated us out like Christmas Eve, except worse because it's warmer outside, or just be a little bit chilled. So the rest of winter, the thing will be rolling and it will be hot. But this morning, we'll rest in this little bit of... Chilliness that we have because of our uh, beautiful weather outside. Uh, In basketball parlance, uh, there is this concept of a getaway game. Now, I I really try not to overuse sports metaphors. My first ever sermon, uh, when you're a kid growing up in a small town and you decide you want to preach, like everyone throws you a doggone party, you know? And so I preached this sermon. It was not good. Everyone told me it was phenomenal, you know? The, the premise was that, like, as a church, we're like a team, you know, and, it, yeah, it's just exactly what you would expect. Um, and everyone was just glowing in their review, except one person who was honest with me. He said, you know, that, that was good, but just be aware, like, you're going to be tempted to use sports metaphors in every sermon you give, and there's people that just don't like sports. There's people that just don't get it. And so that little conversation has stuck with me all these years, and I try not to overuse them. But this morning, just I couldn't get away from it. Imagine the Los Angeles Lakers are playing a five-game road trip on the East Coast. They've played in New York against the Knicks and the Nets. They play over in Boston, then over in Philly, maybe on Christmas Day. Then they have one more game before they have a few days off. And they get to go back out west and play some good opponents. And that one game before they take off is a Wednesday night in Cleveland, and no one really cares about that game. The players and coaches, they're thinking about what just happened, and they're looking ahead to the next game, they're looking ahead to their break or the opponents that lie ahead. The arena is half empty, you can get tickets on StubHub for cheaper than the parking outside the stadium, and it's not on national television. It's like a regionally televised game while the college football playoffs are on another channel. So there's like 50 people in the whole world watching these guys play basketball. This Sunday, the last of the year, is sort of like the getaway game for the church today. We're sandwiched between Christmas and the new year. People are traveling, they're tired, and they're getting that last bit of rest wherever they are before embarking on a new year. We've got plans for sermon series and meetings and directives and all sorts of things in 2020. We've celebrated God's faithfulness in 2019. Over the last month, we've baptized three people. Our average attendance is up over 100. We've got baptisms scheduled for um, the next month. Last week at Risen City, over 30 people came together and worshiped. Now, that's not very much to us, but for that work that's going on, that's huge. Someone professed faith as the gospel was presented there. Things are rolling. We've celebrated that in the last month, and we're looking ahead to the next month. But here we are on this getaway Sunday. We likely don't come with much excitement or energy. It's one of my favorite Sundays of the year because there's no expectations. I just presume no one's going to be here, and we go from there. We don't come with a lot of excitement or energy with a great crowd, but on this Lord's Day we still come because Jesus is Lord of holy days and getaway days. So one of the questions before me as your under shepherd on mornings like these is simply this, how do we go to church for rest? This morning as an under shepherd of the good shepherd, I point us to a familiar Psalm, Psalm 23. As sheep this morning, my prayer for all of us is that we would come to our shepherd for rest, renewal, sustenance, and victory. That we would come to our Lord our shepherd for rest, renewal, sustenance, and victory here at the end of 2019 and on the precipice of 2020. Let's jump into Psalm 23 and explore the images of God as our shepherd and friend who leads us on holy days and getaway days. There are two titles for the sermon. You can pick whichever you like better. The first is simply shepherd and friend. The second title that you may pick is of holy days and getaway days. Psalm 23, verse 1 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord is my shepherd. Don't miss the paradox from the very beginning of the passage. David has used other metaphors to describe God. Our rock, our shield, our king, our deliverer, but here he employs an even more personal one, the shepherd. And when held side by side, the words are so wildly different. The Lord, in all caps, right? The creator of all, the sustainer of all, the God of all, the one who creates the cosmos by the word of his power. And shepherd, who follows sheep around all day long. The maker of the stars knows us intimately and provides for our every need. The shepherd is everything to the sheep. A shepherd is a sheep's guide, companion, protector, provider, and physician when the sheep gets ill. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Uh, The English Standard Version and um, the New American Standard Version both translate this text. God makes us lie down. Our good shepherd makes us rest. He makes us stop. The Lord, our creator, our shepherd makes us rest. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He puts us in places where our needs are met. Green pastures provide food for sheep. They provide nourishment for sheep. Still waters provide refreshment and replenishment. God has joined himself with the sheep, so where he goes, they go, and he finds them the things that they need found. He meets their every need. He does not leave them to find food, drink, rest, and safety on their own. He finds it for them, and his well-being is bound up in their well-being. God meets the needs of the sheep. God loves the sheep. God cares for the sheep. God tends to the sheep. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He determines where we're safe to rest, where, we're must, where we must travel on. David has in mind here though a sort of nourishment that goes beyond our mere physical needs. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David here speaks of a shepherd who doesn't just find us food and drink, but he speaks of a shepherd who restores the souls of his sheep, who profoundly transforms his sheep, who brings a deep, deep healing that mere need meeting does not do. God restores us, and God renews us. He fills us up in ways that only He can. He then empowers us to live His way. The text says to walk in paths of righteousness. Why? For His name's sake, that we may live lives pleasing for the Lord. What do we think about on this getaway Sunday as we gather? That God fills us up as we pour ourselves out. God fills us up as we pour ourselves out. The Apostle Paul was no stranger to this phenomenon, right? He said, I, and I know what it's like to have a lot, he says. I know what it's like to live in plenty. I know what it's like to do ministry with a well-funded, uh, a well-funded ministry. I know what it's like to have nothing. I know what it's like to be bitten. I know what it's like to be shipwrecked. But I can do all of these things through Christ who gives me strength, right? Paul's understanding of Christian ministry was a constant pouring himself out. He says, pouring out myself like a drink offering, right? And that there's this pouring and there's this filling that comes from God. I think it's the sort that David spoke of here in the famed 23rd Psalm. That God powerfully and supernaturally by his spirit in us restores us some things may help some things may make us feel better temporarily some are helpful some are not helpful but lasting genuine ongoing renewal flows from the spirit of God who dwells in us so my question for us this morning is how do we avoid burnout how do we stay on the path how can we look ahead to all the trials and travails that lie ahead in 2020 and face them with a realistic optimism not a blind desire that everything will go well I think we draw from the well of God's spirit in us. We cultivate the life of God inside of us. As sheep, we come to our shepherd and we drink from the waters of the word. We eat in the pastures of prayer. We live in the everyday stuff of life, in the minutia of work and meals and all of this stuff that just feels like surviving. We dwell in the presence of a shepherd who knows us, who loves us, and who renews us. How do we stay on the path in 2020? How do we avoid burnout when we're so tired from all the roles that we play? Most of you, if you're here, you're here because you have a leadership role here this morning. Drink from the waters of the word. Eat in the pastures of prayer. And cultivate the life of God inside of you rest in the company of the shepherd, even when it gets hard, leading me to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As poetry so often goes, there's a sharp contrast, quickly placed side by side. We see green pastures, we see still waters, we see this idyllic setting, and then quickly we go to the shadow of of death. We're here far from green pastures and still waters, but the shepherd is not far from the sheep. Hear this, church. The valley of the shadow of death is just as much part of the right path as the green pastures and still waters. The valley of the shadow of death is just as much a part of the right path as the green pastures and still waters. Difficulty, suffering, and pain, even death itself, are not signs that you've strayed from God's path. When you're walking in that valley of the shadow of death, fix your eyes on the shepherd and not on the path. When you're walking through the shadows, know that the shadows play on your fear because you don't know what's in them. But there's nothing in these shadows, there's nothing hiding in them that can hurt you. Even if my path in life gets so dark and the worst case scenario plays out, I have a shepherd who has died and come back to life, who will usher me from this place right into his arms. So church, you and I and we have nothing to fear. Nothing lurking in the shadows can do anything to us without getting through the shepherd first. Why must we not fear for you are with me? David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David speaks of the rod and the staff of the shepherd. Now the rod is like this cudgel worn at the belt that would be used to just fend off sort of an attacker, if you will. You've got the rod in one hand, fending off attacks, and you've got a staff. A staff to make sure the sheep do what they're supposed to do, a staff to make sure the sheep stay near the shepherd. And here's this Davidic picture of God fighting off our enemies and God disciplining and keeping near him his sheep. I'm not afraid, David says, because my shepherd is fighting for me and my shepherd is fighting me in a sense to keep me from running off away from him. He's protecting me from the outside. Anything that's going to come to me has got to come through him, and he's making sure I don't think I see green pastures over here and decide I'm going to wander off. And the moment my head turns to wander off, I feel that hook wrap around my neck, and the shepherd draws me closer to his arms. I am not afraid because my shepherd is so, so good. Jesus' church is our good shepherd. He does not leave when danger comes. He does not see his life as more valuable than the sheep. He does not see wolves and say, you're on your own sheep, I'm out of here. In fact, Jesus, our good shepherd, John 10 teaches, lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus doesn't just fight our enemies, Jesus has defeated our enemies and continues to fight on our behalf. He leads us, he guides us, he comforts us, he restores our our souls. He sends us his helper, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in us who gives us true, lasting, and helpful rest on holy days and getaway days. And Jesus, this good shepherd, has invited us into his family. He's invited us into the victory he won through his substitutionary death and victorious resurrection, which leads me to the second metaphor in our text, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, it's one thing to survive a threat from the enemy. It's quite another thing to triumph over that enemy. This second metaphor introduces one of a friend who invites us to his table. David here pictures God as our host, a table that looks like an ancient Near Eastern victory feast, one in which the losing party must come and watch as we enjoy the victory that we have won. The picture here in verses 5 and 6 is one of God, our friend, inviting us to his table. It's one of God, our friend, honoring us in incredible ways as he anoints our head with oil making us feel like the honored guest we sit at his table he anoints our heads with oil and our cup overflows he is the best host we don't have a lot of categories for this in the west we're not the most hospitable people Uh, whenever we spend time in in India and you go out in the village and you sit down in someone's hut and they bring you a chicken that your heart breaks because you know that This costs like a whole lot, and this is worth a lot to their family. They make you the best tea with the only sort of milk they may have for the chai. They give you everything they have. They bring the best for you. We're in there, and they bring out their bed so we can sit on the bed instead of the floor, right? There's this culture of honoring the guest. And here, David pictures God, the king of the universe, bringing out the best he has to offer, overflowing our cup with the best Wine, God giving his best for us. In the ancient Near Eastern world, being invited to someone's table was a really big deal. It created a bond of mutual loyalty to one another. And in many cases, a meal was sort of the culminating act of making a covenant. We walked through Exodus last uh, for much of 2019. If you remember in chapter 24, verses 8 through 12, the elders of Israel be, Israel beheld God, and they ate and drank as they entered into covenant with him. This was again the case at the Last Supper, when Jesus announced, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Being invited to God's table is being invited into God's family. And being invited into God's family being, means we have all the rights and privileges of being a member of the household of God, he goes on in just pure praise. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God the host has invited me to the table. My cup overflows. He has anointed my head with oil. I am now in covenant with God and now that I am in covenant with God, surely I will dwell in his house forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life on holy days and getaway days, on good days and bad days, on days where I feel really full and on days where I feel really empty, the Spirit of God dwells in me, and surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wherever I go, covenant mercy is mine. Goodness I don't deserve is mine because of God's initiating act. And forevermore, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. As members of his church, we dwell in God's family today, but there's also a sense of pilgrimage at play here. We are on a journey to God's house where we will dwell with him forever. Jesus is the good shepherd who protects us from the enemy. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We get tired, and our shepherd shows us rest. We hunger, and our shepherd finds us food. We thirst, and our shepherd leads us to still water. We are tempted to fear, but we trust our shepherd even in the darkest days. Jesus is the good shepherd who protects us from our enemy. And Jesus is our friend who has invited us to God's table. His blood is the cup we drink there. His body is the bread we eat there. We triumph over our enemies through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are invited to the table by a loving Father who has made a way for our entry into the family. We have entered into covenant with God through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. So now surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Worship team, if you guys will, or Nate, if you will come on up. So this morning, on this chilly but warm outside, this paradoxical existence we live, this morning, church, we rest we're reminded that our task is not to work until exhaustion. One of the things I've learned as being a young guy in ministry who's, um, who's done well, who's done poorly, who's been humbled, who's done, uh, lived a lot of different things over the last five years, four or five years. One thing I find is that you go to these conferences and you, you hang out with other church guys, and there's this like, oftentimes, not always, there's this like subtle bragging about who works the most. <laughs> There's this subtle bragging about who works the hardest. Like, everyone's sin is they work too hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, everyone's like, oh, bro, I just, I just work so hard, man, for the church. And I just need God. I just, I work so hard, and I just, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there's this sort of, like, idolizing of productivity. We hold up productivity like it's this thing that's going to give us contentment and peace and going to give us meaning. I have never met a guy. <laughs> I may, hopefully. If I meet this guy, I want to hang out with him. I've never met a guy who's like, man, my sin, bro, is I'm just straight up lazy. (laughs) I just like sleep till noon and like I don't really do my sermons. I just kind of copy and paste them. And I, yeah, I don't actually do any counseling. I don't, I'm just lazy, bro. That's my problem. Like we don't do that because that's not what our culture values. Our culture values like pastor as CEO, right? Our culture values pastor as real estate mogul. Our our culture values pastor as, like, organizational guru. Our our culture values pastor as dynamic speaker who can draw crowds. Our, our, Our culture values all these things, and so our temptation is to live up to what those are so that people will think we're good and successful and come to us. And I just can't get away from the overarching metaphor of shepherd. God doesn't call us to frenetic activity, and God doesn't call us to just lazy stillness. There's a season for everything. There's a season for resting, a season for working, a season for joy, a season for sadness. And what we have in Christ is a shepherd who doesn't just hold up a standard and say, You must be like this, but he comes to earth. He lives with his sheep and he guides us through every season. And I rest this morning in my calling to be an under-shepherd to this good shepherd to make us lie down in green pastures, to feast in the fields of prayer and drink from the waters of the Word. Our task isn't to work until exhaustion. Our task isn't to rest until we feel rested. Our task is simply to walk with our shepherd. Fixing our eyes, not on our path, but on Him. And living well in the field in which He's placed us. We glory in the fact this morning that God has invited us to His table to take and eat on holy days and getaway days. This morning, God's people, we rest. This morning, God's people, we take. And we eat. You can make a case that food is a central theme of the Bible, that God is gathering a people from the nations, and God is bringing that people to his table, to the wedding feast of the Lamb, where people from every tribe and tongue, from the four corners of the world, are gathered at God's table, eating, and drinking with the lamb who was slain. This morning as we take the Lord's Supper, we reflect on the reality that God has invited us to this table, that this table is a participation in the life of Christ, that this table is a sign that we are God's covenant people. Because Jesus is our good shepherd, but Jesus is our true and better David. Jesus is our Lord, and Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our shield. Jesus is our rock. Jesus is the bread that we eat. Jesus is the cup that we drink. Jesus is our Lord. Provider, Jesus is our fulfiller. Jesus is our sustainer. His helper whom he has sent when he was ascended. His spirit of God dwells in us as a down payment of our participation in his life forever. We are the people of the risen Lord. And as we come to this table this morning, we reflect on that reality, that we are Christ's and he is ours. And because of what he has done, which we memorialize in this bread and cup, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and surely goodness and mercy will be ours all the days of our life. In just a moment, I'll pray uh, for us, and I'll invite us to the Lord's table. As I remind us every week, this table is for Christians, meaning this table is for people who uh, have believed Jesus is the Son of God. He lived, died, and rose in their place. They believe that by faith. They've turned from their sin, and they're following Him. Uh, if you don't believe that, it wouldn't make sense for you uh, to take it, uh, but we are thrilled that you're here. Uh, we invite you to come to the table if you'd like, uh, and then when you get up here, just kind of make it, I I don't know, and then I would love to pray with you. Uh, just, God, thank you for this person. Thank you for bringing them here. Thank you for creating them and for loving them. Uh, if you are introverted like me, and that sounds like one of the worst things you could ever imagine, Uh, Just stay seated. No one's looking at you, and if they are, that's their problem, man. This is a safe place for those in Christ and those who are far from Christ in whatever sense that may be. So if you're in Christ this morning as we wind out 2019, as we look ahead to 2020 on this chilly getaway day, we are inviting you to God's table to reflect on the beauty of the covenant we have with him. Let's pray. Uh, I'll give you a couple moments for reflection, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for your word that fills us and restores us because your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Thank you for guiding us, God. Thank you for being a good shepherd who laid down your life for us. Thank you for your rod that protects us and your staff that keeps you near. Thank you for giving us your victory through your cross and resurrection that we may receive it by faith. Thank you for inviting us to your table where we could never come on our own. We praise you for the goodness and mercy that follows us all the days of our lives that we simply do not deserve. Father, this morning, give us rest. Brothers and sisters are tired from a long year, and they're tired from a busy holiday. Spirit of God, grant us your true and lasting rest. In Jesus' name we pray.